0: But we love her. Uh, I want to talk with you this morning just a, a, few, a little bit, of, a few thoughts about something that's kind of hard to believe, to be honest with you. Now, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that are challenging to just our normal way of thinking. And one of the challenges of faith is to face the claims and wrestle with them. Faith, I don't think, is supposed to be easy. When people try to make it too easy, I think they just want to fit in the club of the church more than really face the reality of these challenges, these claims that touch the very depth of our souls and sort of stretch us and uh, threaten on some levels our way of believing, our way of thinking about life. And this morning is is no small matter. I want to talk to you about why I think that you and I matter. Um, Why I think that our daily thoughts matter why our decisions matter. The claim of scripture from texts like Psalm 139 is that God watches us when we sit down and when we stand up, he knows, he's intimately acquainted with all our ways. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words before we say them. That's, that's an amazing claim, because I don't know about you, but I don't feel that important that God really listens to that or listens to my thoughts. It goes so far in scripture as to claim that not only is he listening, but that we will give an account for how we think and act and speak that our idle words, words that, that bring no fruitfulness, maybe even hurt those around us, that we're going to have to give an account for those. Thankfully, our sins are forgiven when we ask him to forgive us. But the thing that I think is not recapturable is the waste of our lives, when we don't believe what God says about us. There is a being described in scripture. Uh, some people call him Satan as though that's his name. That's not his name. Really, Satan is a title. It's the Satan. And uh, it's like the president, you know, calling the president or the CEO or whatever, you know, whatever uh, title you would have. It's not the name of the person. It's just the position they fill. And the Satan, who was really Lucifer, in scripture, scriptural teaching, is uh, it means, that position means the accuser. That's what it means. I think the enemy of our faith is always trying to accuse us, saying, you're not really worth much. You don't have to think much about your life. You really don't matter. You're only a mom, after all. You're only a dad. You're only a, you know, Starbucks barista. You're only a janitor, only a doctor, only, you're only a butcher, baker, candlestick baker. Right? How many of you, if you were asked to preach next Sunday morning, it would mess with you this week? How many of you would pray more? How many of you would fast? How many of you just wouldn't be able to eat? How many of you would never raise your hand no matter what anybody asks you? You know why you would pray up and fast up and read your Bible up for next Sunday if you were asked to preach? Because you think that matters. Most of us don't think our lives matter. We don't think about our everydays and engaging in the everyday process of life, that the little decisions that we make and the thought processes that we have and whether or not we live in fear or in greed or in lust or whatever it is that we get caught up in our brains, that really doesn't matter because our lives aren't really that important anyway. I I want to suggest to you that that's a lie. That on some level, you matter, not so much because of what you do, but because of who you are, you know, if your last name was Kennedy or you know Rothschild or some you know some famous family's name, um, people would be interested in you not so much because you're really good at what you do, although they would expect you to be good at what you do. But they'd be interested in you because of who you are. On some level, our pedigree. Our sense of who we are should be in the fact that we're children of God. That on some level we're like princes or princesses, or we're like we're like these kings and priests. We're like these these people. We're royalty that belong to God, and God somehow puts us in the world as His representatives. And because we are who we are, that makes what we do important. You remember when this is years ago? Some of you won't remember because you were little. Most of you are old. Like me, and you'll remember this: when uh, President Clinton was nominated into office, and uh, it was, uh, it was he was president-elect, and the very next month, on the front page of the sports section of the USA Today newspaper, was Chelsea Clinton in front of a goalie, in front of a goal. She was the goalie in a team in a private school in Washington D.C. And so when I saw that. You know, I didn't think, oh my gosh, looky here, what a coincidence. It's amazing that the president elect's daughter is the most amazing goalie on the planet, that she's on the front page of the USA Today sports section of the newspaper. I didn't think that, I thought the only reason she's on there is because of who she is. In fact, who she is made what she does matter. I'm suggesting to you that something like that is playing in God's heart about you. That the will of God has a lot more to do with who you are than what you do. That whether you work at McDonald's or McDonald Douglas is less important than how you work there as a prince of God, as a royal of God. Now, interestingly, when you go to the scripture, and the biblical narrative, you kind of get this, this imagery of why God created humans to begin with. <laughs> you know, we don't really know, according to the narrative, you don't hear why God, what God was thinking when he created planets or stars or trees or hippos or aardvarks. We don't know what he was thinking, right? But according to the narrative, we know exactly what he was thinking when he creates humans. And we pick it up in Genesis 1, God said, let us make human beings in our image, that we would actually be like a reflection. The idea image image, it's the, it's, it's the, the Latin word is Imago Dei. It means like a, like a statue, like an, a, an image that represents God. And it not only does it say he said that he created us to be human beings, to be in his image, but also his likeness. It's a different word. And likeness means imitators, representatives that we act like God. We act as if we were God. That we would be what God would be if God were human. Hmm? And God placed us that we would, he said, rule. Let them rule. That word rule is a God trait. It means to add to something God was doing, and that's really the trajectory here of the Genesis account. It's this notion that according to Scripture, God created, and when he creates, he doesn't take stuff. There's nothing there, but he just creates out of nothing, out of nothing, ex nihilo is the Latin, out of nothing he creates. And then when he creates, he has this amorphous stuff. It's chaos. It says, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was without form, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. It was just chaotic. And yet, there's the joy of this stuff he creates. And it says the Holy Spirit was hovering over it. And then he begins to take that amorphous chaos and begins to separate light from dark and dry from wet and sky from ground. And he's separating it all. And then what he ends up with is good. God is good. And so the creation itself is a reflection of himself. What God does though, is he takes human beings and puts them into that arc of out of nothing, chaos, order, good. And he throws humans right into that trajectory, right into that directionality and says, join with me to make it good. That's why you're here. That's why you're here to make, you're here to good the world. by your decisions, by your thoughts, by your actions. You're here to good the world. So God takes the first humans and puts them in the garden to work it, to take care of it. He says, name animals, order it, name stuff, make it better, good it. It's the creation trajectory. It's God's dream for us. To begin to enter in with him to make the world a place that was better. Now, here's the interesting thing is that when God creates, he doesn't just create it statically and leaves it alone, goes on vacation. He has to sustain it. Creation is like your kids pushing your kids on the swing. You just don't push them once. You got to keep. Right? Those of you that have kids, grandkids, you know you have to keep again, again, going. So creations like that, God invites human beings to keep engaging in the culture we live in, the families we live in, the friendships we have, the work we're engaged with, that we keep entering and entering and giving and gooding and gooding, that's God's dream, that we're part of making things better. That's why he calls us salt because salt just makes things taste better. How many like salt and eggs? (laughs) Sweet, right? And salt also prevents rot. In the ancient world, that's what it was primarily used for us to prevent rotted meat. It was preventing rot. See, the reality is, if creation isn't sustained, it starts once if goodness isn't sustained, if it isn't again, again, what happens is it starts to deteriorate. So good starts getting a little bit disordered, and disorder starts getting a little bit chaotic, and chaotic starts getting into nothing. So here you are, you know, in a creative gesture when you feel that maybe, maybe it was God was in the fact that you find good in your life and, you know, maybe boy meets girl and, you know, nothing was there it was ex nihilo, but all of a sudden something's there and it's a little chaotic, you know, you don't know where he fits or she fits but you hang with each other and before you know it you're starting to order it and you're thinking this is kind of neat we like this oh I like that too oh that's cool and then you start hanging with each other and it gets more ordered and then you say you say well maybe we should live our lives together what would that look like and you start moving into a place where you enter the sacrament of marriage and it's good but if you're not careful, you'll stop paying attention and all of a sudden the good marriage starts getting a little disordered and a little disorder moves into more disorder and then pretty soon it becomes chaos and if you're not paying attention, it'll slip into nothing. And a good marriage is no longer a marriage. See? And so anti-creation is really called, what is the opposite of good? Bad or evil. See the idea here is God chose humans and stuck us in so that we would good the world, but in tragic irony, the very ones God chose to good the world oftentimes evil it, pale it, contribute to the malaise of it, the destruction of it, the end' just and, and so God puts us in the world, and so because we don 't think that we're really worth anything because of the accuser. We start entering the world with envy and lust and meanness and hatred and, and complaining and grumbling. And we enter into an office and it doesn't taste good. It's horrible. We're, we're horrible in our relationships with our friends because we haven't learned how to do good. We don't take ourselves seriously enough to think about it. And so, God wants us to rule with goodness. We end up bringing tragedy, treachery, heartache. What are you prone to doing is my question. Are you a builder or a destroyer? Are you a strengthener or a disruptor? Because here's what I think you need to face and I need to face. That we are not accidents. That God has intentionally put us in the world in which we live. In Acts 17, it says, From one man God made every nation of people and that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them. In other words, the time in history that you were born, God set it in his mind. Not only did he set the time, he he set the place in which you would live, the people you'd be connected to, the families you'd be born in, even those weird ones. (laughs) And he did it because he believes in us. He wanted us to represent him. He wanted us to come to image him, to likeness him, to good the earth. See, this, this means that we're basically, each one of us, our dreams come true for God. And that we're part of what he wants to do in the world. And if you believe that, it will mess with you. If you don't believe it, it won't impact you. But this is the challenge. The scripture suggests that we are so intentional that even our smallest decisions matter. Even, you know, whether we are, we're making ones that contribute to the good of our homes, or our jobs, or our friendships, or our culture, or our church, or we're pushing things away from the good and pushing them into paling, into evil, into ex nihilo, into nothing in hebrews 1 8 look at this text it says of the Son, it says your throne O god will last forever and ever and righteousness everybody say righteousness Righteousness. big word righteousness will be the what scepter of your kingdom in other words the scepter of god's kingdom it's the thing that represents the kingdom Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The kingdom, the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. There's an old story about uh, Joseph who had the scepter of the kingdom of Pharaoh, and wherever he went with that scepter, people would bow their knee because the scepter represented Pharaoh. The scepter that represents God, the scepter that represents his kingdom is righteousness. Now, righteousness, there's a kind of righteousness that speaks to our nature. That when you cross the threshold of faith and you say yes to Jesus, something good happens in you. How many are glad that happens? You're still a bit naughty. (laughs) Right? You may have a lot of wrong with you. But there's something good. There's something right in the person that crossed the threshold of faith. We're new creations in Christ. Right? But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the nature of righteousness. He's talking about righteousness in the sense of right action. In other words, the way the kingdom of God is released in our world is by us taking the right step in the situation that we're in. Whether we're at the, in the job, in the marketplace, whatever, whatever we're doing, it's asking the question, what's the next right step? In the middle of an argument, what's the next right step? In the middle of temptation, what's the next right step? Determines whether or not the kingdom will be released or evil will be released and it matters to God. <laughs> There's a guy that came to me the other two or three weeks ago, minister, he's sitting in front of me. He called me and had coffee with me right before Christmas. He's, he's got sunglasses on, he's crying, his life's falling apart. I smelled alcohol on him. He'd been drinking. He said, I'm struggling with alcohol. His marriage is falling apart. And he's looking at me and he's saying, what do I do? And I, and I, I looked at him and I said, listen, man, I said, I wish I had some oil from Israel that, you know, from a special olive tree where Jesus wept or something. Where if you gave me a gift of $1,000, I could put it on you and it would transform you. (laughs) I mean, it's not that God doesn't do transformation. I mean, sometimes he does instant stuff, but most of the time when God moves in somebody's life, it's slow. It's taking one step and then the next right step and then the next right step and then the next right like shoveling you ever notice when you're shoveling snow it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere until you look back and look where you were right see it's like that it's like it's like change with God most of the time it's like raising children you know how they change if you stare at them it doesn't look like anything's happening but if you just get on with life you look oh holy God, what happened to you <laughs> right see it what the way God moves in the world is through simple little tiny little combinations of obediences. What I'm suggesting to you is that I think God, the biggest stories God has are just the stories of us following him in our everyday lives and taking them seriously and making decisions that matter every day. It's not God's trying to make everyone a Billy Graham. Or a millionaire, billionaire person, you know, a, a, a business person. I think God wants to snag moms and dads and you know, Starbucks baristas and janitors and policemen and doctors and butchers and bakers and candlestick makers that God wants to grab them all and make them realize, all of us realize we are put into the world in ordinary places to bring good to bear and that somehow God brings his will into the world. Now, several years ago, I was at a, you know, at a mall in St. Louis. I was preaching at this church. And the year before, it was very cool. We, there was a church about 3,000, and um, uh, the, it was a men's meeting that we did, and then I did the, uh, the year before, I did the men's meeting, then priests, and the same thing was happening this year. That year before was pretty unusual. I, I, we did the meetings, and then about the middle of one of the men's meetings, this is very unusual, I, I was talking, and there was this presence of God that came in the room. 300 guys, 400 guys, and about half of them, Started crying It was just like a repentance I don't know what it was exactly And we just all kind of stopped and had a moment And I thought And and it was so deep And so I'm coming back the next year And I'm thinking oh God I mean you can't usually repeat things Lightning doesn't usually strike the same place But you know I I was God I was hungry and I was hopeful for what was going to happen and so I'm hanging around, I'm in St. Louis, I'm supposed to drive to the place where we're having the meetings, and I had some extra time, so I pulled into this mall, and went into the mall, I thought maybe I could uh, catch a little influenza. And I, I ran into a successory store. Those are the stores that used to be around. They're not around anymore. I've never, I don't see them around anymore. Anyway, it's those stores where they have like plaques that show vision and it's like, you see them in the offices and stuff that have these little sayings about vision or perseverance and you know, that kind of thing. So I'm in that, in that store and I'm, I'm, I'm checking out a book. And, and as, as I'm doing that, I caught out of the corner of my eye, this girl who's facing the wall, talking on the phone. Well, somehow in my heart, I felt like something's wrong. Now. Generally, I pay attention to those senses because I usually don't notice anybody but me. <laughs> so when this impulse came, I thought, well, it must be the Holy Spirit because it's about someone else. <laughs> so I looked at her and I looked back down. I waited for a couple of moments. She hung up the phone and she turned around. I could see visibly she was, she was a little freaked out. So I walked over to her and I said, excuse me. I said, I'm over here looking at this book, and I, and I don't mean to pry. I, I'm just telling you, I, you know, I'm a Christian, and I know this sounds a little crazy. I like to tell people what I'm, you know, how crazy Christianity sounds, <laughs> because it is a little crazy. And I said, I just, it sounds a little crazy, but I'm telling you, I'm over there, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, I was supposed to come over here and to pray for you because something's going wrong. Oh, my goodness. She burst into tears. Now, we're, I was thankful we were the only ones in the store. I mean, this guy, I mean, just burst into tears and uncontrollable. And I'm kind of going, you know, what do I do now? Right? And, and then she got into that. She finally tried to calm it down. And then she got into the, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You know, when those, you know like babies do. You know, when they get to that point where they cried so hard, they can't control it. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm trying to talk to her. She couldn't talk to me. So I said, listen, let me just pray for you. I prayed for her. And when I prayed for her, there was that. Very powerful moment. God's presence was there. And I remember thinking, this is, a, this is cool. And as I prayed, I finished my prayer, and I said, do you know anybody that's a person of faith? And she, yeah. I said, talk to them. I said, for some reason, God's trying to help you. Be open to him. Okay, so I finished that conversation. I walked out of the store. And as I'm going down the mall hall, I heard this thought in my heart. What if that's the most important thing you've ever done? Now, I wish I could tell you, it made me happy. It didn't make me happy. Because I thought, <coughs> what about my preaching? <laughs> or, you know, my books? You know, what about, what about the stuff, you know, all the cool stuff? But, but, but what, what, in my heart, I thought, wait a minute, what did I put into motion? Maybe, maybe when we obey God in little ways, we put things in motion that are connected to something bigger than us. Maybe God loves doing that kind of thing. And, and, and my mind started wondering, I thought, well, maybe, maybe she was going to get a divorce and maybe she did get the divorce. And, you know, they married and they had a baby and then the baby grew up and had a good life. And then that p- baby got married and they had a baby and that baby grew up and, and went on a short-term missions trip to Chile. And they went into this slum area and won this young boy to Jesus. And he turned into like this Billy Graham of Chile. And, you know, a hundred million Chileans came to Jesus. It could happen. And then I imagine myself being in the judgment seat of Christ and standing there and Jesus saying, look, these hundred million Chileans. And guess who's responsible? And we're all looking around thinking, who's responsible? And Jesus goes, Ed Gunger! Come on down! (laughs) I've never even been to Chile! And Jesus is saying, Yeah, but you remember that day in successories? See, what if the little things you do and little obediences you have change the world? I have a friend who put herself through high school. She kept going to the hospital because she knew she was going to kill herself. She was out of control. But there was, through that whole season, there was one girl, lady that she remembered when she was in third grade in a Sunday school class that she said something in class, just stopped and said something and then went back to her lesson and it was about suicide. And she said that little stop and word that she said kept me from killing myself through that whole season in my life. See, the scripture says, words fitly spoken are like apples of gold and settings of silver. In other words, they're priceless. Think of the people that have impacted your life. A lot of times they had no idea they were impacting you. What if this is the way God does stuff? What if he loves to just lead you in little ways and you're contributing? He wants you to be in places where, you know, you're not that greatly gifted, you're not that famous, you're not that rich. And so you just you kind of go in life in common kinds of ways. What if God did that in purpose? Because he wants you to be in places to touch lives. Mrs. Schlimsog, Nielsville, Wisconsin, farmer's wife, sweet lady couldn't sing, (laughs) not very talented, not a college student, just just a mom, just a farmer. She goes in to see my dad years ago in the sixties. She sees a picture of Mark and I, my my dad was a doctor and saw a picture of us on there. And she said, years and years later, she told me, she said, I have heard the Holy Spirit say, pray for those boys. She said, I want you to know, you were like my mission. I pray for you every day, you and Mark. I could never figure out why we were so open to the gospel. I mean, (laughs) you know how people reject stuff about Jesus. Mark and I were just so open to receive Christ. It was, it was like weird. It was like, I didn't, nobody ever really preached to me. I just heard about somebody who was thinking about giving their life to Jesus and I came to Jesus. And I could never figure that out. And then I recognize, you remember the scripture says that to some people, the gospel is foolishness. And other people that hear it, it's the power of God. And the way Paul says the difference is, is because the people that hear it and think it's the power of God are those that are called. And you know how people get called? They get prayed for. Some people have never been prayed for. And this little woman prayed us into the kingdom maybe God makes people creates them in certain ways to fit they're not so gifted they wouldn't do little things I mean they're small enough that they actually fit in places that God intended them to fit one time I was returning these this car and I had these cassette tapes all underneath the front seat this was in the early 90s when cassette tapes were still cool and (laughs) And I was on my knees in at, 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 at the concrete, and I'm reaching and getting these tapes. And I got four or five of them out of there. There was one down there, and I was looked down there. I could barely see it. You know, it was, it was fetching because it was a second chapter of Acts tape. And so it was like, <laughs> old music, guys. So I'm trying to reach it, and I'm trying to grab it. And as I tried to reach it, I get it, and go like that. And I get it. Did I? Like that, oh! and I was reaching under, trying to get it, and I kept pushing further to the fatter part of my arm, and when I was nearly committing suicide, (laughs) my daughter, who's standing right next to me, who's eight years old, said, daddy. I said, what, daddy? I said, just a minute, daddy. And I pulled my hand, I said, what? She went, here. (laughs) Here's what I, the thought that came to me. Little fits where big doesn't. What if God intentionally made you small, not very gifted, not very amazing, not very stick-outish, precisely because he wanted to sneak you around in little spaces. You know, when you think about the FBI, CIA, NSA, you know what they they love getting agents that don't stick out. They're just kind of undercover agents that come across like kindergarten teachers. <laughs> they come across like normal people, like elevator repair people. But they know they're really secret agents. And when they're in there, elevator repairing or kindergarten teaching or barista in a coffee shop, they're looking for evil. And then they start sneaking around to bring change. See, what if... God purposely made you just really kind of less so he could sneak you around. They say it's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe, but a lot of this is hard to believe. What if your husband just thinks you're a wife? What if those kindergarten children just think, right, that you're a kindergarten teacher, kindergarten teacher? What if they don't realize that really, you know, like Mission Impossible, Right, what if that 's going up <laughs> <laughs> what if God wants to just sneak you in places so you can pray for things what if you what if you have what if you 're working in as a janitor, and you see things that big people, gifted people have, that the only way you could ever get close enough to them is if you were small enough to wash their stuff. And you see things so you can pray. And you put things in motion. Do you know how many really wealthy people have been won to Christ by their drivers, their maids? And what if you're not an accident that he purposely made you? And I got one more thing to say. What if it's harder to make you less? I mean, I I think an omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, perfect God, that it would be easier to make everybody amazing. Because all we don't do is just, just make you. And you're hugely amazing. But how in the world can a God who is absolutely perfect and all-knowing create someone who can't balance their checkbook and can't sing in key? It's a miracle. It'd be like you standing on a shoreline and being hit by a huge tidal wave, 70 feet, and you're, you're and you're, you're hit by it. And it passes and there's one drop on your head of water. You go, how did I get hit by such a huge amount of water and end up with a drop? It's a miracle. (laughs) See, maybe your lessness is really moreness. One example, good singer, you have a good singer? Give me a singer who can sing. Do we have somebody? (laughs) I want them to sing an inspirational song a, B, C, D, E, F, G. Come here, hon. Oh, you have a, oh, you do. Okay, good. All right. So sing for us this song that has touched all of our lives. And sing it sweetly and beautifully like you do. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, F, G, 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 R, F, G C, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Okay, good. How many of you think that's beautiful? Beautiful? Okay. She's gifted. What comes out of her is beautiful. All right, now I want her to sing from the land of the suck. <laughs> so what that means is horrible, not in key, no good tonation to your voice. You just have to just imagine the front part of the American Idol series. <laughs> you got it? Sing ABC for us. A B C D E F G H I J K. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Now, now, now listen, this is an honest question. Listen to this. Is it easy, was it easier for you to simply sing nicely, because that's what you do, or to sing badly? What took more energy? Badly. took. Badly. Them. Yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah, take it. <laughs> when you're really, 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 really good, not very good is really, really hard. When you're really, 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 really perfect, Not so perfect is really, really hard. The computer chip makers, they now in tiny, tiny chips have what used to be in whole rooms. You ask those engineers, what was easier to make? They'll say the big stuff, the hardest stuff is the small stuff, hard to make. More modern warfare, bigger, 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 bigger bombs. We got to make bigger, 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 bigger bombs. Somebody said, "What if? What if we go small? What if we go to the smallest place, the atom?" And they found out the most power is in the smallest place. What if? What if you're on purpose? What if the fact that you're not that gifted, not that smart, not that amazing, is exactly intentional? not because God hates you, but because he wants you to fit in a world to bring good because he's looking for images. He's looking for likeness. He's looking for people that will good the world and make a difference. What if it's true? I saw this, I'm shutting up with this. I saw this um, piece at the end of CNN. There was one CNN used to do their, every half hour, they did the same thing and um, it was a piece that was like a human interest piece. And what they did was they had a guy who set up a million dominoes in Japan, a million in this field house. And so as they're rolling the cameras, he pushes the first dominoes, little tiny dominoes over and the rest is just rolling out. All these dominoes are tipping over. And my devious little mind thought, What if somebody had snuck in in the night and pulled out like five of those puppies? (laughs) And all of a sudden, it stops. Because they'd have to set them all up again just because a few, a few little dominoes got out of the way. And here's what I thought after I watched that. I wonder how many times God has set up to do something to bring good into the world. And we just had a role, just a piece A prayer, a word in a mall, a kindness somewhere, a statement in a Sunday school class. But instead we just don't take ourselves seriously because we listen to the accuser and we step out of the game. We step out of the way and God is left to set the whole thing up again. I wonder if this isn't what judgment's all about. Is God simply looking at you and saying, you thought you were just a mom. Look what would have happened if you'd have just followed your heart. Look what would have happened if you'd have just listened to me when I said, pray here, but because you didn't, the world hurt. I think we need to repent. And I think we need to say, God, thank you for making me thus. God bless you.